0: One and all, welcome back to the greatest show on earth. Somebody told- this is Nick's Nonfiction. I'm Nick Munez. You are the knicker. Today on the show, we have got Alan M. Hornblums. I'm a Hornblum. <laughs> Alan M. Hornblums. Acres of Skin. Happy Halloween. The Nuremberg Code is as follows. Number one. The voluntary consent of the human subject is absolutely essential. But you can get them fired from their job if they don't take an experiment. Them. Joe Biden. Maybe we go deep, chapter three. Number two, the experiment should be conducted as to avoid all unnecessary physical and mental suffering. And number three, the experiment should be conducted only by scientifically qualified personnel. All three of these laws will be broken today as we get into the Holmesburg, Philadelphia prison experiments the Nuremberg Code also says during the course of the experiment the human subject should be at liberty to bring the experiment to an end no mercy rule today uncle, uncle they're dancing on your grave uncle (laughs) Pfizer, Moderna, J&J all exempt from the Nuremberg Code anywho what's the only thing that grows in Philadelphia the crime rate Yeah, Rocky Balboa had the eye of the tiger. It also got him a lifetime ban from the zoo. I'm always frank and earnest with women. In Philadelphia, I'm frank. In New York, I'm earnest. (laughs) What happens when a blonde moves from New York to Philadelphia? Both cities get smarter. (laughs) Certainly, Holmesburg Prison was a paradise for an ambitious research dermatologist. Looking back in 1966, Albert Kligman, this man is the devil, He says, all I saw before me were acres of skin. He's talking about the prisoners. It was like a farmer seeing a fertile field for the first time. Kligman wasted no time cultivating and harvested his acres. It's like human centipede the book. Remember the human centipede three? He made a mile long chain ass to mouth. (laughs) ATM, that's a porno. The mile long centipede ate Taco Bell. It still went through them in an hour. The stories of some institutionalized populations subjected to research experiments have appeared in ethical journals and various texts, but the disturbing tales of the prisoners who suffered the experimental researches have been largely untold. That is until today. The Nickas will be right back. About the author, Alan M. Horndog. Alan N. Hornblum is an author, journalist, and former criminal justice official and political organization based in Philadelphia. So I got my criminal justice degree at UD, that's in North Delaware, and we got to go to prisons from like Philly people. It's insane. The book, 1998, Hornblum went to yeah, Penn State. He got his grad degree at Temple Villanova. That's the most Philadelphia educated person ever. What does it say on the back of every Penn State degree? Will work for food. What does a Nittany Lion call a wildcat grad in five years? Boss. By the mid-twentieth century... Yeah, what do they got, Pen? A couple Ivy Leagues? Poison Ivy! Mr. Pen! By the mid-twentieth century, doctors were injecting prisoners with polio, tuberculosis, cancer cells, performing various burns, radiation studies, subjecting volunteers to assortments of powerful hallucinogenic drugs let's go (laughs) raven at the penitentiary for some among the medical elite people in prisons had become a means to an end we'll get philosophical today kind of just want to make fun of some of these Pennsylvanians why do Westchester students have such fine noses because they're hand-picked it's going to be a good show happy Halloween we'll be right back Chapter 1, Acres of Skin, Alan M. Hornblum, Zabala. They marched six of us, three blacks, three whites, all the same age, late 20s, early 30s, into the one room of the trailer. They told us to strip down and put on these white cotton pullovers with three-quarter sleeves and elastic bands around the waist. Some of us were getting pretty nervous, especially when we saw the syringes on the table. The year was 1964. The location was the Holmesburg Prison in Philadelphia. An inmate, Al Zabala, had just become a test subject for the U.S. Army in one of the tests of chemical agents. Serving a one-year sentence for burglary, the 27-year-old Zabala had originally expressed fear of being part of an experiment, but he gradually overcame his misgivings for a fee. His personal story is typical of thousands of American prisoners who decide to sell themselves as experimental subjects during the post-war expansion of medical research. The book goes on. is still happening today. But but the Nuremberg Code? The U.S. has the biggest private prison population. <laughs> Zabala and his friends stole cars and sold them to Chop Chots, each bringing $500, $600 apiece. After a few years, they stepped up to burglary, starting with smash-and-grabs at the first stores on the main line, Philadelphia's affluent western suburbs. It was a three-man team. One guy drove, two guys with bats would go into the houses. So they started hitting jewelry stores. Zabala says, My first jail job was as a goon in the OBS psychological observation unit. I put straight on the patients in Holmberg's psych unit. I soon heard about the University of Pennsylvania studies and a good way to pay for my fines. They had all kinds of tests, foot powder tests, eye drop tests, face cream, underwear, deodorant, toothpaste, liquid diets, and more. It was easy money. You could make 10 to $300 a test depending on how long it lasted there was a reading comprehension test and interview and then i was hired zabala was taken to h block the cell block where the tests were administered there were freezers refrigerators all kinds of foods real street food we got a lot of special treatment my first day we were given jars marked abcd with percentages 284 we had to mix the creams together then put them on the inmates the one time i got my job to mix the chemicals for the test i wasn't paying much attention to what i was doing I still had the sense to test it on myself, and it burned a hole the size of a thumbnail in my skin. It hurt like hell. If I put that stuff on an inmate, he would have come back to me with a pipe or a shank. See, they get the inmates to apply it to others. Send a grad student in there to burn an inmate's skin. You're coming out with a football-sized anus. Zabala, he goes on to test some deodorants, hand lotions... You got motherfuckers out here complaining about them testing shampoo on sheep? There are human beings with consciousness. <laughs> like, throw this shit on a horse. I don't give a fuck about a horse. These are humans. Anywho. Foot powder tests and deodorant would bring you 100 a month. Hand creams a buck a day. You could be making 300 to 400 a month. Though meager by outside world standards, these wages were incredibly ordinary pay scales. Shut up, dude. So, like, the whole philosophical arc for today... This is what they teach you in criminal justice. The only reason people do crime is because they're poor. And so you're putting them in a situation where they don't have an option but to commit crime. So when you're in prison, do you really have any other option to make money? No, so of course you're going to sell your body. It's like, we have free will, but to what degree, bro? We're all in situations out here. Philosophy. Zabala believes that he was given an injection of a substance 10 times stronger than LSD. Yaga (laughs) Yee. In prison, that's a good time. He remained in a trailer for seven days. Except for the trip, he has no recollection of his actions during that period. His room was completely padded, walls and floors, and two corners of the ceiling held video and audio equipment. The microphone was the size of a pack of cigarettes, and the surveillance camera was the size of a shoebox. A peep slot in the door allowed the testing staff to observe subjects at any time. Toward the end of his stay, the medical staff peppered him with questions. Who are you? Why are you here? What are you doing here? Zabal says, I figured what they gave was pretty damn potent. I got the imp- You were high for seven days! He didn't like the study, didn't approve of it. I wasn't right for a month after the test. I was real subdued and quiet. I had problems swallowing food and constant dry throat. They put me on a liquid diet until I could swallow real food again. We finally came back to the population. All the guys on the study had to wear badges saying they were not responsible for their actions if they acted up. Whoa. <laughs> he took the ultimate god dose in solitary confinement. Holy crap! A few guys came back to population and didn't remember their names. Their names! Guys would fade in and out of consciousness. Some guys beat themselves up and punch themselves in the head. Some of the guys told them they had been violent, ugly trips, dogs, and as big as horses. Worms like alligators terrorized to their trip. Being eaten by giant spiders, living in the 13th century. One guy said he was hung and killed for a few years at a time. Zabata's body would periodically break down in strawberry rashes the following months. What did they make these guys take? But he's $1,500 richer. Zabala's final two incidences... The first occurred in 1973, when Zabala locked himself in the bedroom of his sister's house for three days and refused to come out. He did not eat, sleep, or wash during that period. Secondly, according to William Robb, a convicted murderer serving a life term at the State Correctional Institute, said Zabala experienced something similar to the mid-1970s. Robb had escaped a series of prisons, so these guys had the same ride. As soon as they sat down, Zabala started to behave in an odd manner and fainted. Rob thought Zabala might have a brain tumor, but Zabala passed it off as a weird aftereffect of the tests of the Holmesburg. So we don't even know if it was a hallucinogen. This guy wound up with a brain tumor. He never took these incidents seriously until the late 1970s when newspaper articles began to appear describing the extent of the Holmesburg medical studies. Then he began to wonder if the tests had changed the molecules in his body or affected his chromosomes. He said he was disdainful, No one took tests for patriotic duty, or because they were good people, they were doing it for financial gain. No, 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 no. Wait, 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 wait. But forget the Nuremberg Code. You could test on people in distress. Chapter 2. Testing. This guy William Robb, he underwent three studies in the 1970s known as the Patch Tests. The first Patch Test was one that tested lotions, creams, skin moisturizers, and suntan products. So it's like those allergy tests. They put like 20 creams on this inmate's back. See what reacts. My back is all marked up with bad blackheads and scars, complained Witners Ponton, a 79-year-old convict in homicide of late 1960s. An example of someone who repeatedly signed on as a human guinea pig. He went through over 50 tests during his 40 months in the county jail and figures he made a couple grand during that period. Ponton took part in at least 25 biopsy tests and said he has about six different spots, 24 different marks on his back, all from 25 years. I don't even think pigs live for that long and they have the same exact skin out. Test it on a pig. PETA cares more about animals than humans? Who's sus here? (laughs) The second test Rob took part in, the douche patch test. The douche patch? It's me. An inmate nurse who worked in the lab discovered that the lotion being tested was a new product to be marketed for female hygienic vaginal use. The test was similar to others, but in this case, the grid was placed on the forearm and there was no sunlamp. According to Rob, results could be felt within hours, having the solution placed within the small squares. His skin was examined each day, and after 30 days, he was paid $60. So would you do the douche test? I would say, hey, lady, you gotta actually put your vagina on me solitary for a month the third test the milkshake test each day selected inmates went to h block and drank a rich creamy tasting milkshake something like today's diet drinks they lasted anywhere from 30 to 90 days depending on the results each inmate two types of milkshakes were given out a vanilla and then a chocolate at first there was a problem with the milkshake test the first three weeks the the fatties gained weight and the thinnies lost weight and suffered dehydration there was a mix up when the milkshakes were being passed out it took a while for the lab to work out the bugs so it was a really big story you would join the milkshake test right well some of these tests are just giving the inmates money they were dosing the milkshakes and the guys (laughs) like that first quote Zabala was the guy administering the tests you need actual grad students doing it some of the inmates messed up the milkshakes. So now the fat people are getting fatter. Yada, yada, yada. None of it Would this pass a standard review board at a university? So I'm saying, like, none of these tests are administerable in a scientific journal. Because you have to have double-blind placebos and bullshit. So this is literally just financial gain. They don't give a fuck about the science. Sigmund Weitzman's worst experience in 1967 resulted from the application of a new hair lotion... A few days after the experimentation began, Weitzman was pinned against the wall by 6'5", 200-pound angry inmate. I was scared to death. He threatened to kill me. The inmate was Roy Williams, serving 9 to 23 months. He became enraged when he started losing his hair in clumps after using Weitzman's test shampoo. Williams, too, remembered the test. I really didn't have a dandruff problem, but I did after the test. The lotion removed my hair. So there was this uh big Fabio bodybuilder with long hair. He caught the nerd slipping. Why'd you sign up for the test, bro? How come the Holmesburg prison experiments have processed the course over three decades without government officials, investigative journalists? Nobody was allowed to look at it. And why did physician researchers and the medical community in general, a revered profession morably obligated to uphold the Hippocratic Oath and Nuremberg Code, allow CALS research practices to continue for so long? Damn. So the Hippocratic Oath is I'm not going to test anything on you if it could potentially do bad fuck that, fuck the Nuremberg Code (laughs) so this is something we used to debate about in class do you think prisoners should have the right to vote because they say when you go to prison your constitution is suspended so maybe we should just treat them like cattle the structure was built at a cost of 1.4 million and was designated to be the embodiment of the most enlightened application of penal philosophical in the state this is talking about the the prison in general, bro if you look at it from google earth looks pretty old but the day it opened up in 1896 one reporter described the 17 acre facility as sending the harsh and unforgiving message abandon hope all ye who enter here you can't keep getting away with it a forbidding field stone was surrounding the prison 35 feet in height eight feet wide at its base it's like a moat each cell was six feet by eight feet Huge by contemporary standards, although the cells were designed to hold one inmate, Philadelphia soon found that a number of luxury cells could be sold, and other cells were filled with as many as five inmates. Philadelphia was going hard. They built the Panopticon prison. Everybody likes Eastern State there. In 1929, Harold Hubbs, a 28-year-old former Camden policeman serving a 60-day sentence for violation of dry laws, faced amputation of his feet after prison injuries had gone unattended really sanitary (laughs) a cop was sent in for inmates who challenged prison authority life could be hell a particularly ugly incident occurred in August 1938 during an inmate food strike Determined to break the strike and punish the ringleaders, the authorities escorted nearly two dozen prisoners to the Klondike, a punishment unit housed in a separate corner of the prison yard. The small brick building contained few cells, but had a bank of radiators generating incredible heat, and they called it the Klondike. After an unusually hot August weekend, the Klondike with the windows shut, the radiators turned on full, the strike was over, and so were the lives of four inmates cooked to death in a simulated oven. Before you see a hunger strike happen in America, you're going to see pigs fly. Grubhub, can you come break my hunger strike? He goes into the history of Dr. Albert Kligman. He was brought to Holmesburg to treat a thousand prisoners with athlete's foot. So he knew it was fungal. He told all them to wash the floors. And apparently it went away. So this gained him his credibility. But this is the monster. He went to Vineland, New Jersey, and did tests on children from September 1956 to August 1957. There must be a good reason, right? The difficulty of developing a comprehensive historical account is compounded by Kligman's destruction of all of his experimental data shortly after his research programs closed. So he did all those tests on kids, and then he destroyed the data? Pure intentions. A 1958 study inoculated scores of prisoners with such endodermatic viruses, warts, vaccines, herpes, zoster. (laughs) The subjects of these experiments were healthy colored male volunteers 20 to 45. In a 1957 study that examined many different means of producing experimental infection, ringworm on the feet, Kligman applied an enormous quantities of fungi to dozens of inmates who were made to wear boots continually for a week. And he put fungi and ringworm in their boots. Savage. We got to change Woody's catchphrase. There's a snake in my boot. I got ringworm in my boot. (laughs) Chapter three Privatized. This chapter, he's going deep on the whole system of who gets bought off. It's not one bad apple. Access to the inexpensive prison population was critical to the industry's scheme for product development. FDA regulations dictated that all new drugs pass through a series of experimental hurdles to determine their effectiveness and potential side effects. According to the National Institute of Corrections, there are 160,000 inmates in federal prison. Would you have guessed that there are 120,000 of them in private prisons? private prison system this is all the shit they try to talk about on Netflix it's outpacing the federal system so we don't even know what they're doing at most of the prisons in the US and then they sell you to other prisons what's that movie I don't know the name of it but it was really out of character happy-go-lucky Vince Vaughn he plays a hardened killer and they start putting him into different private prisons and at the last one there's like glass on the floor everywhere these places exist In July 1966, the high volume of Dr. Kligman's research program had triggered an FDA investigation into his data and record keeping. So he ignored the FDA's three rules. Many of these new experimental initiatives had nothing to do with Kligman's specialty of dermatology. In the mid-1960s, for example, R.J. Reynolds Tobacco Company began researching into the metabolism of tryptophan and drew volunteers from the company, as well as nine inmate volunteers hired by Kligman. Like, they should have had a freaking lung doctor administer the tests at the prison, but they're getting some dermatologist, And it's also he could get paid off by R.J. Reynolds' tobacco. Like, this is the boring part of the book, but there's hundreds of these examples. Uh, one study dealt with the impact of chocolate and acne. In this experiment, 35 inmates were given chocolate bars for a month to determine if the substance aggravated acne to the delight of the chocolate manufacturer association of the usa who sponsored the study kligman concluded the investigation of high amounts of chocolate did not materially affect the course of acne and so he's like giving them the review they want the chocolate manufacturers of america were able to find the dirtiest doctor so now they can write on hershey bars does not affect skin CNN February 2019 says, In addition to the fat component of chocolate, which has been linked to blackheads, some research suggests that chocolate might have pro-inflammatory influences on the skin, which could contribute to inflammatory acne. Characterized by red papules. So, pimples. (laughs) But but, but Dr. Kligman said, See, a lot of people's moral compass, you could probably understand, Yeah, I'll just lie for some money. But would you also test on people and then lie about the results for money? A sliding scale of crookery. Cloaked in medical research and science, these studies were nothing but trivial in their impact on scientific knowledge. The prisoners were really used as guinea pigs, and the experiments they volunteered for did not really ennoble anyone. So, just a quick question. Why can't we see Pfizer's data for 75 years? Joe Biden. <laughs> Moving on. On July 19th, 1966, the FDA notified 33 drug firms sponsoring Holmesburg experiments that Dr. Kligman no longer accepted for drug testing. So, he dipped out when the journalists started. Brother they advertise every fucking drug in the United States. It's the only country where you're allowed to do that. And I think Australia. Are you sad? If you take this drug, you'll be happy. How come they weren't advertising the J&J and all those vaxes on TV? It's because if you do an advertisement, you also have to say the side effects. So they weren't going to fucking advertise that on TV, listen to all the side effects. But you walk into CVS and they advertise that shit. <laughs> I'm saying the rules don't fucking matter because they know how to bend the rules. Ah! don't sign up to be part of experimental shit (laughs) chapter four now it's men's turn Solomon McBride was Dr. Kligman's right-hand man and managed the testing program on a daily basis for two decades. McBride says, some of my finest hours were spent in Homeburgs. We helped a lot of people in that program. He claims nobody was injured in those tests. They were all non-invasive procedures. We never broke the skin of any of them. We point- just put ringworm in their boots. He points out proudly that we were sued and we never lost in court. <laughs> this is Kligman's right-hand man. He's bought in. Crest toothpaste and coast soap as examples, when asked specifically about the dangerous experiments, either denied that they were conducted or denied knowledge of them. But on every dove bar of soap, it says tested (laughs) on unwitting prisoners. J&J was in on the run. A wound healing study for Johnson & Johnson in which the absorbency and wound apprehension properties of various dressings were examined. Inmates were paid $5 per wound. But They never broke skin, remember. So how did you pay for wounds? Guards didn't have the balls to cut the female prisoners, so they started putting them in a separate prison. And then he was saying DuPont started testing Band-Aids on them. So the men had to do with the big cuts, the bandages, and they gave women 50 cents per little mascara slits. This chapter gets more fun. August 20th, 1947 Gerhard Rose, one of Germany's preeminent medical figures, stood in the prisoner's dock at the Palace of Justice in Nuremberg. Germany awaiting his sentence for murders, tortures, other atrocities committed the names of medical science. The prestigious German physician had overseen series of experiments in Buchenwald, concentration camps, yada yada yellow fever, smallpox, typhus diphtheria Uh-oh. so he goes all of Nazi Nuremberg here, did you know 23 Nazis were tried at Nuremberg. All of the Holocaust is forgiven because 23 Nazis were brought to justice. Bro, there's so many levels to this shit. I know, guys. (laughs) (laughs) The point that we're making today, if the whole world agreed at the Geneva Convention to never test on prisoners again, (laughs) what the fuck's going on? So, yeah, they came up with the principle that human experiments must be volunteers, not under duress or coercion, like a prisoner. So, this is what one of the Nazis used as a defense at Nuremberg. Although he was initially distraught over the disastrous incidents, Dr. Strong, a graduate of Yale and Johns Hopkins Medical School, used prison inmates six years later to perform experiments with Beriberi, a deficiency disease characterized by paralysis, mental disturbance, and heart failure. These experiments resulted in several deaths. The survivors were rewarded with cigars and cigarettes. Smart-ass Nazis on the stand there going, Yo, you guys have been giving people all kinds of bullshit. This is another one to learn whether sulfuric acid, which is used in mo- making molasses, might be injurious. The Louisiana State Board of Health put Negro prisoners on a steady diet of molasses for five weeks. <laughs> Few in the community thought this practice was alarming. One accounted state that inmates didn't object to submitting themselves to the test because it would not do them any good if they didn't. So you better say yes to this test, son. You don't want to be doing hard labor out in the sun. He said yes. He said yes to taking syphilis. This story is pretty baller. Weitz, who was acquitted and freed, mentioned in his defense that the experiments of Dr. Joseph Goldberger, a U.S. public health official who sought to unravel the mystery of pellagra in 1914, the state of Mississippi recorded almost 1,200 deaths from pellagra, a disfiguring disease following year more than 16,000 reported cases. Those unfortunate enough to contract the disease often suffer from the four D's. Dermatitis, diarrhea, dementia. So this is about pellagra. Let me break up the story here. Three years ago I was talking about it. Bill Gates released the largest number of mosquitoes back into the wild in Florida and Texas. And this year malaria is back. <sighs> has nothing to do maybe in a hundred years a book will be written about that malaria it's back conventional medical wisdom at the time blamed everything for poor sanitation it's because those crazy florida men impressed by goldberg's innovative approach in other areas governor earl brewer of mississippi organized a new pellagra experiment using inmates in the state prison system. The research would be carried out at Rankin Prison Farm, eight miles east of Jackson. Dr. Golderberger's plan was naively simple. induce pellagra in white adult males, the one group in the population that statistics had shown was the least likely to contact the disease. The pellagra squad was organized in February 1915 and consisted of six who were serving life terms for murder, one a life term for criminal assault, and the other lesser terms for manslaughter, bigamy, and embezzlement. I'm trying to get on that bigamy. <laughs> the men go through the 4D's, diarrhea, diphtheria Governor Brewer kept his word and pardoned the men at the formal ceremony one relieved volunteer said I have been bought through a thousand hells of the ceremony and they're going I would never do- go through such a hellish experiment again so that, again this was one of the cases the Nazis brought up everybody who's part of a government uses utilitarian logic Jihad is the answer. Now motherfuckers be like, yo, if we just test diseases on this one guy, then we'll save the everybody forever. Is that what happened at the Wuhan lab? The accused Nazi physicians revealed other examples of human experimentation in the United States, non-therapeutic medicinal initiatives using prisoners. Most had been carried out no more secretly than Goldberg's Pellagra experiment, saying they don't even hide this shit they just make it so that people sound crazy if they point it out it's genius 500 of san quentin's inmates in testicular transplants testicular transplants some with animal gonads full evil scientist territory (laughs) i will replace your testicles with duck balls It's all okay. That has nothing to do with the Nuremberg Code. (laughs) Ram, goat, and boar testicles were surgically implanted into men's scrotums. Jesus! (laughs) And then you turn into, like, goat man with goat balls. In another case, 12 years later, in 1934, the nation learned the story of Carl Erickson and Mike Schmidt, two Colorado prisoners who were selected to participate in unprecedented tuberculosis studies. Let's bring that TB back, baby. (laughs) By appealing to their patriotism, prisoners were solicited for their necessary human trials. You love America, right? You'll do this for the country. Take a little malaria, a little typhus. They did skin grafts, exotic blood tests. Some of these medical initiatives were bizarre and resulted in tragic 1942, for example, U.S. Navy was given Dr. Edward J. Cohn, a distinguished Harvard biochemist, made a pitch for volunteers at a state prison in Norfolk, Massachusetts. Let me buy you guys. The prisoners were told that the war had created a blood shortage of plasma and volunteers were desperately needed to test a substituted derivative of beef blood. (laughs) The test involved injecting each volunteer with an ounce of purified fraction of beef blood. There's no end to that story they get mad cow disease. (laughs) Beef blood. Final quote from Nuremberg. Do you Yankees remember Statesville Penitentiary, Illinois, 1944? Dr. Alf S. Alving of the Medical School of University of Chicago first asked if inmates of Statesville might be willing to volunteer as experimental subjects. In an effort to find a cure for malaria, more than 400 prisoners participated in the intensive two-year-long study. The inmates had contended with periodic mosquito bites, raging fever, nausea, vomiting, blackout, endless untested medical potions, occasional relapses, but no one squawked. They all took it like men. (laughs) You want to be a man, right? So that was a fucking lie. Nuremberg. Chapter 5. On a tear. The voluntary consent of the human subject is absolutely essential. This means that the person involved should have legal capacity to give consent, should be so situated as to be able to exercise free power of choice without the intervention of any elemental force, fraud, deceit, duress, overreaching, or other ulterior form. It's just not legal. I don't have to go lawyer on this bullshit. Rothman called this new era of laissez-faire attitudes in the laboratory the gilded age of research, where once the battlefield was the focal point of government in resources, medical research would take its place so the only way out of this rant is to go deeper, Klaus Schwab all these futurists, they say the 1800s was the age of engineering, 1900s is the age of propulsion and the 2000s, they call the age of biology, so literally we don't care about propulsion anymore, we know what we could build to kill each other this is all about testing God people. Dr. Werner Leibart had argued that the improvised individuals are by definition unable to exercise free will and cited the Statesville experiment. We, what do people learn? In Colorado, you go to the museum and there's the Ludlow Massacre. This is an insane story. So we're just building on who's the good guy, who's the bad guy. 1910. The workers didn't like the odds of their survival on the job. It was the United Mine Workers of America. They came up with, like, three demands. Eight-hour workdays, weight checkmen, so you get paid per pound of work, and then dead work checkmen, which is laying track, handling impurities. They all did this shit for free before. They're like, no, we're getting paid per pound now. Rockefeller owns the mine. He hires private guards to harass the strikers. You can look all the shit up. Ludlow Massacre. By the end of the month, 90% of the workers join the strike, and they got a picket line of 10,000 mine men. They set up all their tents. Rockefeller, he hires men to shine high-powered lights at them in the middle of the night. They build custom-armored cars called the Death Special, and a tank then drives through the encampment. Ludlow Massacre, I'm sure there's videos on it. The strike leaders didn't like that they were being harassed, so then they hire mercenaries to go fill- kill Rockefeller's men in the middle of the night. The governor was in Rockefeller's pocket, so he calls in the National Guard, and the violence just keeps on escalating into a full-on battle. Ludlow <laughs> massacre! Rockefeller's men burnt the houses with women and children in them, and the battle ended when the National Guard pulled up on the railroad tracks and opened fire with Gatling guns. On the 10,000 mine workers. You don't work by the pound. We own your every hour of your life. <laughs> the fighting lasted for like 10 days. They dug, uh, dugouts underground. You can still go and look at it. That's the history of America. They don't teach that shit, bro. Another Colorado rebel of history? The Killdozer. The Killdozer. Imagine the killdozer are pulled up at the Ludlow Massacre. It pushes the train off the tracks. <laughs> <laughs> Bro, there's a hundred of these stories. I got to do full-on episodes. The Briar Cliff Massacre. That was the first time the U.S. Air Force was used to bomb U.S. civilians. <laughs> West Virginia, the Briar Cliff. Check it out. So does like your government care about you? That's why they're testing hepatitis on us. <laughs> The Ohio prison system hosted some of the most dangerous and controversial experiments of that period. The injection of live cancer cells into the bodies of prisoners. So I'm saying whether it's the Nazis, it's not Dr. Mengele or Dr. Goldenberg's fault. Creeps exist. It's the power structure that enables people to commit mass atrocities. Dr. Goebbels, he would be fucking squeezing a frog in the swamp. He'd be one of those creeps taxidermying animals. Once there's this gigantic structure of power, the super hitting stick, let's try some Nazi shit. The government itself exacerbated the problem in 1962 when in the aftermath of the thalamide disaster, the FDA required pharmaceutical companies to conduct three phases of human trials. So implement another three-step rule and that'll fix everything. I don't even think we need the FDA if I'll go super hard to end it. You could test shit yourself. You're making plants illegal? Actually, pineapple hurts my tongue. Maybe we should make it illegal. You know there's little calcite crystals in pineapple? That's why it hurts. But some people can't handle it. So now it's illegal. Wrapping up. That 1946 call for ethical vigilance on the part of the professional was followed by three decades of physicians abusing their rights of patients on a scale of unparalleled medical history, accompanied by protests, sanctions of the American Medical Association that's founded by Johnny Rockefeller. It couldn't happen in America, we reassured to ourselves, but it did. History suggests that we are susceptible to abusing our socially and economically disenfranchised citizens as any other nation. If, as many believe, a democracy is as strong as the respect accorded to weakest members, we must work to assure that neither these abuses nor the conspiracies of silence make them possible to ever happen again. Let us not forget that progress is an optional goal, not an unconditional commitment. Oof. Let us also remember that a slower progress in the conquest of disease would not threaten society, but that society would indeed be threatened by the erosion of those moral values who loss. But we need the Wuhan lab. We need it. A ruthless pursuit of scientific progress can make its most dazzling triumphs not worth having. Fellas, fire up the killdozers. There you have it. Acres of Skin by Alan H. Hornblum. Hope you all enjoyed. Have a happy Halloween. If you need some free memes, check out Harry schwant over on Instagram. Patreon.com slash niche We going hard. Next week on the show, our month-themed edition. We'll talk about food a little bit for November. Once again, thank you guys for being here. will see you in seven short days.